0: Well, good morning, church family. How are you this morning? Good. Good to see you. It's good to be with you this morning. If I haven't met you, my name is Josh White. I've had the privilege of doing so many different things here at the church, but uh, currently I primarily oversee the young adults here at the church. A few things just uh, as we get started this morning. First, if you're new, we want to say welcome. We're so glad uh, that you joined us this morning. We would love uh, to meet you out in uh, the courtyard as you exit after baptisms today. There's a, a guest welcome booth uh, where we'd love to get to know you. We'd love to answer any questions you might have and also give you a gift. Um, Also, you may have noticed on your way in that uh, there's some pictures over here um, from the father-daughter dance. And so if you went to the father-daughter dance and you got pictures at that event, if you see yourself over here, they're in the lobby on the right side on your way out, then you're welcome to grab those and take them with you on your way home. Third, just a reminder that we have baptisms uh, today after this service. It's such a joy and a privilege to be able to see people profess their faith and commitment to Christ. Uh, And today, I think, is especially fitting for baptisms because the topic of our passage is the cost of following Jesus. And so after service today, we'll tangibly be able to see people declaring that the cost of following Jesus is indeed worth it. Um, And so make sure you stay after second service for baptisms. A little bit about myself um, for those who may not know me very well. I've grown up at this church uh, from being in uh, the nursery with Mina uh, to uh, giving my life to to Christ and trusting in him at this church, uh, to serving in this church, whether on the worship team or in junior high ministry for a while or high school ministry, uh, to then being able to come on staff. Um, And so it is a humble privilege uh, to be with you today for the preaching of God's Word. As I was preparing this week, I thought, oh man, I have to follow Roger this week, and he's been preaching longer than I've been alive. (laughs) So you got to hear from Roger last week, and this week you get to hear from the young guy, I do promise that I'm older than I look. Um, It is a blessing, but also a curse at the same time. But in all seriousness, my goal for this morning is not to give you my opinion about this passage. We don't gather on Sunday mornings to hear opinions. We gather to hear the very word of God. And so my hope and prayer this morning is that I would communicate God's word to you clearly so that we might obey it and so that we might find greater delight in knowing God. With that in mind, let's pray and ask God to help us understand his word. God, thank you for the privilege of being able to gather to worship you and to hear from your word. Thank you that you have revealed yourself to us, what it means to know you, to trust in you, how to be saved from our sins. We're thankful that you died and rose again for the forgiveness of our sins. God, please be with us now as we open your word. We confess that we can't understand it on our own. Help us to understand it and to apply it to our lives. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. When I was in junior high, uh, there was nothing that I loved more than skateboarding. It was pretty much all I did or thought about was skateboarding. Uh, I never understood how People wanted to stay at school longer to do sports because I always just wanted to leave so I could uh, be outside on a skateboard. And I was always eager for the weekend so that I could spend all day, Saturday, pretty much from uh, sun up to sundown on a skateboard with uh, friends. I loved skateboarding so much that, for a while, it was a dream to be a professional skateboarder. That's really what I wanted to do with my life. However, as time went on and as I got to high school, the dream of being a professional skateboarder kind of declined. It really faded, and I pretty much stopped skateboarding altogether. And when I think about why that is, I can't help but think that I liked the idea of being a professional skateboarder, but not the reality of it. The reality of professional skateboarding is that like many other professional athletes, it requires rigorous training and potential harm to your body. You can get seriously injured doing it. It comes at a great cost, in other words. I loved the idea of being able to do all of the best tricks. I loved the idea of how people might view me, what my reputation might be as a professional athlete. But I was ultimately unwilling to put in the hard work, and I was too afraid of hurting myself. And in the same way, there are many people who like the idea of following Jesus. They like the idea of the forgiveness of sins. They like the idea of heaven. But when push comes to shove, they are unwilling to pay the price of following Jesus. In other words, there are those who want the benefits of being identified with Jesus, but are unwilling to deny themselves, to surrender their lives, and to endure suffering for the sake of Christ. We're reminded in our passage today that following Jesus is not simply acknowledging truths about who he is. The heart that truly trusts in Jesus leads to a transformed life. The scriptures teach us over and over again that that transformed life involves surrendering to him, self-denial, and also suffering. In light of this, I want to give you three principles today about what it means to follow Jesus from our text. Before I do that, I want to remind you of the context a little bit. Matthew chapters five through seven, which we've just finished, is Jesus's longest recorded sermon and is called the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount ends with the crowds being astonished at Jesus's teaching because he spoke with authority. And then in chapter eight, Jesus goes on to demonstrate that authority by healing many different people, some of whom come to trust in him for salvation. In light of Jesus' teaching and miracles, a crowd has gathered around him. And this is where our passage today begins you look at verse 18, it says, now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. Instead of staying among the crowds, Jesus decided that it would be better to go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. But before he departed, he had two conversations with individuals about what the cost Of following him was. Our passage today is a warning to us about the cost of following Jesus. What I want you to see this morning is that even though it can be a hard thing to hear a warning, it is a gracious thing that God has warned us about what it means to follow him. He doesn't desire that we follow him blindly or ignorantly, but that we know exactly what it means and what it costs to follow him. So let's look at three principles about following Jesus. The first principle is that following Jesus is not for selfish gain. Following Jesus is not for selfish gain. This is what we see in the first conversation, verses 19 through 20. Verse 19, it says, And a scribe came up and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. In these verses, we see the man came to Jesus professing that he would follow him wherever he went. What is shocking about the scribe's profession is that his words are not incorrect. He says the right words. All genuine believers should be willing to go wherever Jesus calls them. However, Jesus' response reveals that what was incorrect was not the scribe's words, but the motivation of his heart in following Jesus. The text does not tell us exactly what the man's motivations were. It may have been that he wanted the prestige of being identified with this teacher who spoke authoritatively and did miracles. It may have been that he thought this prominent teacher would be able to provide him with a comfortable lifestyle. Whatever his motivations were, they were selfish. The scribe was not committed to the person and work of Christ, but was committed to himself. And we still see this today, don't we? There are those who want to be identified with Jesus merely for spiritual experiences that soothe their own feelings and passions. Likewise, there are those who think that being identified with Jesus means that they will be blessed with materialistic possessions These are selfish reasons for following Jesus. And we must guard ourselves against following him for the wrong reasons. Whether that is thinking that Jesus will bless us with materialistic possessions, or that people will think highly of us for how much we know about God or the Bible, Or whether we will be perceived as a moral person, or whether following Jesus means that we only go to God when we need Him to fix something in our lives. When we follow Jesus for these reasons or for similar ones, like the scribe, we are not committed to Christ but to ourselves. The life that the scribe wanted to live is not the life that Jesus offers. In verse 20, Jesus' response says, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. What Jesus is essentially saying is that in his time on earth, he was a poor master. That animals of the earth had more basic comforts than he did. That is truly profound to think about, considering he is the one who created all things and who for all things exists. And yet, in his life on earth, he had nowhere to lay his head. When we look at The life of Jesus, he didn't own a home. He didn't have earthly possessions. Many people came to hear his teaching, to be healed and to be fed, only then to reject him and to hate him. The life that Jesus offers us as his followers is not one of earthly comfort or popularity. In contrast, the scriptures consistently remind us that to be identified with Jesus is to face persecution and suffering in this life. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12 says this very clearly. Paul writes, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. In a similar way, earlier in Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 11, Jesus himself says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Following Jesus means that we will be hated by the world just as the world hates Jesus. Maybe some of you are enduring this now. If you haven't noticed, it's becoming increasingly unpopular to be associated with Jesus. You might now lose your job by upholding what God's word says about gender, about sexuality, or about ethnicity. Your coworkers, your neighbors, or your family members might slander you, and hate you for following Jesus and for striving to live a godly life. And yet Jesus says that we are blessed when we are persecuted and suffer for his sake. How is that possible? The blessing is that Though we may endure suffering now, in Christ we are forgiven of our sins, we are reconciled to God, we are saved from the wrath of God to come, and we will be with God forever. The scribe in his selfishness thought that Jesus offered a life of earthly comfort. This is not the life that Jesus offers. However, what the scribe missed is that the life that he actually does offer is far better than earthly comfort because it is one of eternal comfort. It is one of eternal peace. And there is nothing in this life that compares to the eternal comfort and the eternal peace Of being reconciled to God through Christ. Some points of application before we move on. Are you following Jesus from selfish motives? Is following Jesus just a means to an end for you? Is it just a ticket to heaven? Is it just something you check off a box? Or are you following Christ because he is all you have and he is your only hope of righteousness and forgiveness of sins? Consider why you are following Jesus. Secondly, are you expecting Jesus to offer you a life that he has not promised? We need to make sure that what we expect from God comes from his word. Do you realize that the call to follow Jesus involves suffering? We won't all endure the same kinds of suffering. God knows the suffering that we will endure. But if following Jesus means that you lose everything in this life, will you still follow him? We will only be willing to suffer for Christ when Christ is our greatest treasure. And so following Jesus is not for selfish gain. Our second principle is that following Jesus is not on your own terms. Following Jesus is not on your own terms. This is what we see in verses 21 and 22. It says, another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Charles Spurgeon said the difference between these two men was that the first one was too fast and the second one was too slow. In this second conversation, Jesus calls a man to follow him, but the man asks if he could first bury his father. Jesus responds again by commanding him to follow him, and to let the dead bury their own dead. At first glance, Jesus' response seems insensitive, doesn't it? How could he not be allowed to go and care for his father's funeral? That seems significant. That seems important. However, when we understand what the man meant by asking to go and bury his father, we understand that Jesus's response is not insensitive at all. I think John MacArthur explains this well by saying, the man's asking for permission to bury his father, however, did not mean that his father was already dead. The phrase was a common Near Eastern figure of speech that referred to a son's responsibility to help his father in the family business until the father died and the inheritance was distributed. Since a man's inheritance was customarily lost or reduced if he did not fulfill his expected responsibilities to the family, the phrase, I must bury my father, was frequently equivalent to, I want to wait until I receive my inheritance. The man's concern was not actually for his father, but for himself. He wanted to follow Jesus on his own terms and in his own timing. And I think this is something that we still struggle with today. For some, it is waiting to follow Jesus until you settle down with a family. As I interact with college students, these are often the conversations that I have. That I want to live the way that I want to live now, and then when I figure life out, then I will follow Jesus. For some, it is waiting until you have a certain career. So your obligation in your life really is your career, not following Jesus. For some people, it's waiting until you have a certain amount of money, and then going and following Jesus. For some, it is wanting to wait until you retire because you think that you'll have more time when you retire to follow Jesus. For some, it is just waiting until you're less busy because the busyness of your life life ultimately is what rules and runs your life. It is easy to allow the busyness of our lives to distract us from following Jesus. However, we cannot wait until another time to follow Jesus because we are not promised another time to follow Jesus. I think Acts chapter 17 verses 30 and 31 demonstrate this well. Paul says, The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world and righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. We are not promised tomorrow tomorrow But notice what we are promised in this passage is that judgment is coming. The only way to escape that judgment is by trusting in Jesus and following him. Following Jesus is not something that we can push off to another time. It rather must be our present obligation. Jesus' response to let the dead bury their own dead teaches us that what is more important than burying the physically dead is preaching the gospel to the spiritually dead. That is more significant. That is more important. That is what our lives are to be dedicated and devoted to. Following Jesus on his terms means that we are obedient to do what God has called us to do, not at a later time, but right now. We don't follow Jesus on our own terms because following Jesus means that he is the authority over our lives. James Montgomery Boyce demonstrates this well by saying Matthew wants to show us that the same Jesus who has authority over sickness, nature, and demons also has authority over the lives of his disciples. Jesus determines what following him will involve, not us. Therefore, if you are going to follow Jesus, it must be on his terms rather than your own. Growing up, my least favorite chore was always cleaning up after our dogs. The funny thing is that that is still my least favorite chore. That has not changed one bit. But when my dad would ask me to do that chore, I would often drag my feet. I would often procrastinate. I would often find other things to do instead. I was rarely willing to be obedient immediately, as most children are. Yet, as parents, we expect our children to obey us immediately. That's what we ask of them, and that's what we expect from them. And the reality is that God expects the same from us. We don't follow Jesus on our own terms but on his terms and in his timing, which is now. Some application points before we move to our next principle. Are you attempting to follow Jesus on your own terms or in your own timing? Secondly, are you willing to follow Jesus now or are you allowing yourself to be obligated to other things? is there something else that you must do first before you go and follow Jesus? Jesus is saying you need to lay that down and you need to follow him. And so following Jesus is not on our own terms. Our third principle for this morning is that following Jesus is surrendering your life. Following Jesus is surrendering your life. When we look at the lives of these two men with the limited knowledge that we have about them, surrendering your life is exactly what they were unwilling to do. They were more concerned about how they could keep living the life that they wanted to rather than following Jesus at any cost. Talking about the Christian life, John MacArthur wrote, The Christian life is not adding Jesus to one's own way of life, but renouncing that personal way of life for his and being willing to pay whatever cost that may require. It is tempting, isn't it, to think that we can just add Jesus to our own life and to our own way and to think that we can just keep living how we want. And yet that is not what following Jesus means. Following Jesus means we surrender our life because in Christ, our life no longer belongs to ourselves, but belongs to God because he purchased us with his blood. We see this in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. Paul writes, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth. Notice this, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Notice that Paul is very clear about why we are to seek the things that are above Our old way of living is dead and is hidden in God. And now, as followers of Jesus, our life is Christ. Our life is Christ. Everything in our life is to be centered around Christ. Think for a minute about why we must surrender to Christ. The scriptures teach us that without Christ, apart from him, we are enemies of God. We are dead in our trespasses. We are enslaved to our sin. The intentions of our hearts are evil. We are defiled in mind and conscience. We are hostile in mind and do evil deeds. We take delight and pleasure in practicing unrighteousness. We hate one another and are hated by others. And rightly so, we are destined for God's wrath. That is who we are apart from Christ and his mercy. We surrender our lives to Christ because there is only hope in Christ. Christ. He is all we have. Our own way of living does not lead to life, but leads to death. The call to trust in Christ is the call to surrender our lives to him and to follow him at any cost and to live how he calls us to live. This requires that we surrender our lives to Christ. And so what does it look like practically to surrender our life to Christ? I think surrendering your life to Christ means that you strive to make Christ known in every area of your life. Surrendering to Christ means that you strive to make Christ known in every area of your life. Some examples of that, just briefly. One, I, be, I think, is your career. Whatever job you might have, the Lord has not given you a career just to make money and put food on the table. But because there are people around you who do not know Christ. And so are you using your career as an opportunity to make him known. Your neighbors, likely where you live, God has placed people around you in your neighborhood who don't know Christ. And so are you taking the opportunity of witnessing to your neighbors seriously to make Christ known? Your kids... If you have kids by now, you've probably realized that they're sinners and that they need Jesus and that they don't come into this world as innocent, but rather need to trust in Christ. Parenting is a great opportunity to lead your kids towards Christ, to make Christ known in your family and in your marriage. And even if you're a grandparent as well, to your grandchildren. If you have kids who play sports or or are in extracurricular activities, are you using that as an opportunity to meet the friends of your kids, meet the parents of those friends who might not know Christ? In this day and age, it's easy to be consumed with the the various activities that kids have, And it's okay to do those things, but are you using those things as opportunities to get to know people who don't know Christ and and to make Christ known? You may have friends and family members who do not know Christ. Are you taking opportunities to make Christ known to your friends and your family members who do not know him and haven't trusted in him? When we surrender our life to Christ, there is no area of our life that we withhold from him. That is what it means for Christ to be Lord of our life. That every area of our life is in submission to him. A few points of application as we close this morning. Are you trying to add Jesus to your life, but keep living the life that you want to live? Are you just trying to add Jesus to your own way of living rather than surrendering your life and living how he calls you? Secondly, are you using every area of your life as an opportunity to make Christ known? Whatever you have in the busyness going on in your life, are you using every aspect, every area of your life as an opportunity to make him known? As we close today, hopefully you see clearly what it means to follow Jesus. Following Jesus is not for selfish gain. Following Jesus is not on our own terms. But following Jesus is surrendering your life. I don't want to leave you without hope this morning. Again, I want you to understand that it's a gracious thing that God would warn us about the cost of following him. And the reality is that we can never follow him faithfully on our own. We didn't save ourselves, and we won't follow him faithfully by ourselves. Rather, it's by God's grace, it's by his mercy, that he will help us follow him faithfully until we see him face to face. Some of you might know that I became a father recently. We might possibly have the cutest baby ever, but I may be just slightly biased. There are so many things that I'm learning about what it means to be a father. One of those things is that there are so many joys, but there's also so many challenges as well. And our son's only four months old. He doesn't do much at this point. However, the joy of knowing our son and the hope of him one day trusting in Christ far surpasses the challenges. And to a much greater degree, the joy of knowing God, the joy of being forgiven of our sins, being reconciled to him, a re- having a relationship with God, which we did not have before when we were enslaved to our sin, the joy of knowing him and worshiping him far surpasses any hardships that we might face in this life. And so by God's grace, may we faithfully follow Jesus until the end, no matter the cost. There is no other life worth living because he is all we have. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word we do confess that you are all we have and you are all we need. God, thank you for your mercy and your grace and your kindness towards us through Christ. Thank you for coming yourself to die in our place, to rise from the grave for the forgiveness of our sins. God, you've told us in your word that it's not an easy thing to follow you. It's not the easy way. It's difficult. It's challenging. But there is no other life that is worth living. God, forgive us when we think that we can add you to our lives and just keep living the way that we want to. Help us to follow you faithfully We can't follow you faithfully on our own, but we can only do so with your help. And we thank you that you have promised that you will finish the good work that you started within us in the day of Jesus Christ. We greatly look forward to seeing you face to face. Jesus, we ask that you would come quickly. We love you and praise you. It is in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.